0: You're listening to The Substandard Model. The first post-starting university episode. Um, I'm going to be talking about some physics, because we've had a little bit of a dry spell in, in physics in the last few weeks in our podcast. And it's not been a bad few weeks for our podcast, because I think they're some of our best, but they do happen to include 98% biology with a little smidge. Coincidence? Of- coincidence sam thinks not (laughs) sam knows not so where do i start with mine mine's a bit of a scandal in a way i don't know if it was an intentional scandal or if it was an unintentional scandal but it was a guy group of guys big group of guys and some gals probably uh wrote a paper on something and then recently a paper has been released saying that their paper was a sham and their paper was quite one of a those. significant, interesting paper. So the fact that it was a sham is a pretty pretty big deal. That's quite interesting, because one of my
1: later facts is going to be the exact same thing. So we'll see. Oh, shit. We'll see which is the biggest which is the biggest scandal.
0: Let it be known, the format of this podcast is that we have no idea what each other are going to talk about. Um, which probably isn't that novel of a format, considering that's our conversations <laughs> work. <laughs> a format of our podcast. Right. Now, ours, so I'm gonna be talking about expected. superconductors. There's a couple of ways of making superconductors. A superconductor is essentially a material that you can use to conduct electricity that has zero electrical resistance. And so when you run your I guess circuit or your 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 voltage over this material, you lose no energy due to heating losses. Right. Right. So you know, when you're running your computer You've got your computer cable. Your computer cable gets warm if you use your computer for a long time, right? If it was a superconductor, wouldn't get warm. Okay, simples. Simple. Um, So uh, there's a couple ways of making a superconductor. Today, I'm going to be talking about the way that I think is probably the most exciting at the moment, but it's also one of the hardest to get. So it's by using a thing called metallic hydrogen. Ooh, do you know what metallic hydrogen is, Sam? You can, you can. I, I do not. But I would guess
1: it is some sort of. Very, like high, some sort of very cold hydrogen
0: plasma type deal. Right. It's not a plasma. Ooh. Not a plasma. It's not a plasma. It's a metal.
1: So it's what a, happens is, is if you
0: squeeze hydrogen under immense right. pressure and at very, very cold temperatures, then it can form an ionic lattice and Ooh. it can have a sea of delocalized electrons that swish around this ion lattice.
1: Like, oh, a metal.
0: Like, like, like a group one metal, only it's hydrogen. Like a group one metal, in it's hydrogen. And it's got one okay. electron, one proton, maybe maybe a neutron in there, but, you know, <clears throat> one electron, one proton. So you've essentially got this lattice of protons with a sea of swimming electrons that sort of just swish and sway around these protons. Not really sure who they're attracted to most. You've got this metallic hydrogen. I mentioned that you've got to put it under immense pressure. I think there was a team who tried to make pure metallic hydrogen, which I don't think has been done yet. So there was a team, a French team who tried to make uh, pure metallic hydrogen and they put it under, I think it was 495 gigapascals of pressure, which it is 5 million times atmospheric pressure five Life. million times atmospheric pressure my second fact today actually talks about a lot of high pressure situations anyway so how do you create something that will squeeze something else to five million times atmospheric pressure well you're going to want to use a really hard material so you, they essentially do it by a mechanical working right they squeeze something mm-hmm. between two other things it's two anvils right they're called it's called an anvil right so and you squeeze two anvils together at really high forces to create an incredibly high pressure in the center, right? Right, right. So what's the what's the anvil made of? What would you like to make the anvil out of, Sam? Diamond. Yeah, it's made of diamonds. So they're called diamond anvils.
1: <gasps>
0: is it really? Yeah, it's called a diamond anvil. And it's that's it's, very micro. It's a very, it's a very small thing, diamond anvil, and you can put in a pellet, which is some sort of micrometers across whatever, right? And so uh, you can put in some hydrogen and you can squeeze it real hard and then the state of the hydrogen should change and, and you can cool it down and mm-hmm. you can squeeze it and you can cool it down and you can squeeze it and you can cool it down and you can squeeze it and the state of the hydrogen right. should change. Right? Can I,
1: can I ask, how, how do you squeeze hydrogen because it's gas? Why doesn't the gas just
0: go away? What do you mean? Oh, oh okay. Basically, they, they, uh, they've got to contain, okay, so it's sealed. I assume they're putting it because the gas initially is so undense, right? Like, like yeah. if you put a, like the, the like a cubic centimeter of current atmospheric pressure hydrogen, and you're not getting very many atoms, relatively. Yes. So they're gonna they're gonna do some prior squeezing. They're gonna put it in one of those big, you know, gas tanks, and then they're gonna uh-huh. put it. It's kind of like a fire extinguisher, right? Situation uh-huh. like that. Squeeze, 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 squeeze. Um, then they're going to I mean, I don't really know their procedure entirely, but you know they're going to have some sort of airtight pellet or something which is a really high pressure anyway. Then they're going to feed that between the two diamond bits, and then that is going to slowly decrease the volume, but it's sealed. You know,
1: So it's like a diamond box? That's it's, like a,
0: it's like a little diamond box. I think they Damn. use, interestingly, they, they use like torus shape. The, 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 the topology of the tips of this diamond anvil uh-huh. is, that's the shape. <laughs> good, good long words there, Henry. The shape of the tips of this diamond anvil is uh, a point of interest. I, th- I think in the one where Ooh. they're trying to make pure uh, metallic hydrogen, they used torus shaped tips, which I'm not really sure how you would, that's donut shaped. I'm not really sure how you create a donut shaped tip.
1: Is it like a circle shaped tip with a hole in the middle? Yeah, and I it's guess. Just like a, cylinder, a big cylinder that you squish it with. Yeah,
0: and I, and the and the hydrogen goes in the hole in the middle, and then they squeeze it. I guess. Who knows? Oh, awesome. Right. So they're squeezing hydrogen, and they're trying to get it to change state into a solid. Um, metallic hydrogen does exist. Where does it exist? Oh. Where do you think? I wait, mean, it exists in nature. In nature. Oh,
1: oh wait. I know. Uh, okay. 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 Uh, it'll You're be so on a right. the- <laughs> it'll be on one of your stupid planets it'll yeah. be like
0: in jupiter is it uh, at
1: the core of jupiter
0: yeah it's the the it's not even the core it's it's, core. it's a, i think the surface of jupiter the surface in inverted commas is a gra- it's a gas giant right the surface is a metallic it's a layer of metallic hydrogen um little side note i think there's also there's also metallic helium there's not metallic helium there's liquid solid helium in there right liquid helium right right? i think it's liquid because and it's it's immiscible with the metallic hydrogen i can't remember why it might actually be a really weird case of uh polar non-polar situations but that would just be me making a, a random guess um, but Wait, when I, I saw something about I saw something about uh, liquid helium being immiscible with metallic hydrogen in Saturn. And is metallic Jupiter.
1: hydrogen a li- Is metallic hydrogen a liquid?
0: So you can get uh, liquid hydrogen, and no, metallic hydrogen is a solid. So but you can also like get you can get metallic hydrogen, of... but you can get molecular solid hydrogen, molecular liquid hydrogen, and you can get ah. metallic liquid hydrogen. That makes sense which acts like a liquid metal.
1: Yes. Yes. Um,
0: and if you look at a, you know, the temperature pressure graphs that you get for like triple points state, state yeah, graphs. Yeah, yeah. um, there's lots of sections on the hydrogen one at really extreme pressures. I mean, obviously normally it's just like gas and li- and not even liquid. It's just kind of gas. Right. But as soon as you uh-huh. bring, you know, 5 million atmospheres to the equation, <laughs> then 5 million, Jesus Christ five million five million so you really squeeze it and oh. then you get you get it it changes like nothing's nothing's a gas for five million an interesting side note on metallic hydrogen is that apparently it could be meth stable, which means that after you've squeezed it into a solid when you release the pressure it might just stay solid what yep <laughs> so you could like hold it Right. Yeah. So I saw a really long paper that said it's metastable, but not up to ambient temperatures and pressures. So not up to room temperature and pressure, but maybe to lower temperatures and pressures than the one that it's formed at. So you can form it, release the pressures a little bit. It's not 5 million anymore, right? It's 4 million. I don't know. (laughs) And it's still metallic, hydrogen, which is cool in and of itself. That's Um, really cool. What I'm getting onto today is the attempt to get metallic hydrogen uh, to become a superconductor at room temperature. This is really important because superconductors, uh, there's a thing called the Curie point, which is the, the point at which a conductor turns into a superconductor. And it's a temperature because a superconductor only really works when the quantum effects can work and I'll explain what they are in, a, in later but they only work when the quantum effects can work and the quantum effects can only work when it's very cold. Mm-hmm. So the curie point is a temperature typically minus you know 190 something right at which yep. the material will go from not having quantum effects being a significant part of its you know makeup to having quantum effects being a significant part of its activity right its makeup. Um right so the interesting part about metallic hydrogen is that they think the Curie point of this could be as high as 15 degrees Celsius. At least that's what this paper says. And that means that you could end up with a room temperature superconductor, which means that you could create a situation in your laptop where, I don't know, you cool it down with you know, a fan and a bit of water and it stays below 15 degrees Celsius so you can run your computer off a superconductor, which is a really significant part You know, it's a really significant innovation. So it it should be—it should be a huge deal if we find a room temperature superconductor, right? I mean, that changes. So you're
1: saying hydrogen? Wait, hydrogen goes up to 15 degrees.
0: That's what they're saying. They're saying. I mean, under these pressures, under these pressures, under these pressures, under these pressures, right? Right. Slightly less than these pressures because they're using not pure hydrogen. They're using a—it's called carbonaceous sulfur hydrogen sulfide. Right. And that's the thing where they use a guest host uh, system, which can host hydrogen as in its metallic form under high pressures. Um, I guess it like makes it more stable, right? Mm-hmm. There's something to do with the lattice that promotes the metallic hydrogen. I'm not going to get into that. So you put a pellet of carbon and sulfur in a one-to-one molar ratio, right? A little chunk of carbon and sulfur in a one-to-one molar ratio. You place it inside of a diamond ampoule. Then you pump in your hydrogen, right? And you increase the pressure using your hydrogen pump initially, and then you squeeze with your diamond anvil, right? Yep. And then at four gigapascals, which is about 40,000 atmospheres, um, you fire a 10 to 25 milliwatt laser for a couple hours at this pellet, right? Of It's about 500 nanometers light, uh, which is red, green. No, it's green it's a green laser it's fired at the pellet uh you fire it for seven hours and what this laser is doing is it's photonically scissoring the sulfur's bonds so your sulfur is no longer being this uh uh diatom not a diatom what am i trying to say is it a diatom diatomic just fucking Mol- hell diatomic molecule, molecule. Di-atomic there molecule. yeah it's, a be- it's becoming it's becoming a radical right so you're scissoring this diatomic molecule and you're forming two sulfur radicals. These then react with the hydrogen, which is around it or each other. Like they can reform the diatomic molecule, but you know, they're being constantly scissored. So they're forming, yep. reforming, reforming, reforming. Right. Um, when they react with themselves, they actually create interesting new chains, but that's not the point. They, they, they form these radicals. Then they react with the hydrogen molecules in the surrounding area, still under four gigapascals of pressure, and they form hydrogen sulfide which is basically water, but with sulfur instead of oxygen, right? H2S. Okay. H2S. Then this hydrogen sulfide is under such high pressure that it's a pressure-driven disproportionation reaction of the hydrogen sulfide into H3S. So you squeeze another hydrogen on there, just like the, the H3O plus okay. hydronium ion, right? Yep, yep, yep. Um, the carbon that I mentioned earlier has now formed methane at this point. And now this is the key bit, the H3S and the methane then form a square cubic solid lattice under all this pressure. Right. Right. And this square cubic lattice. It's like, it's like, it's like a, it's like a hydrogen three H3S. I don't know what you would call that. You know, sulfur trihydride, right. Sulfur trihydride Sulfos- lattice. Yeah. Sulphonium. Which is, which is, yeah, which is doped, which means has little bits of, uh, you know, methane doped with methane um, uh, forms a guest host structure for metallic hydrogen under these pressures. Then they ramp up the pressure. Then they take voltage readings and current readings and whatnot and go, is that superconductor? Where's the Curie point? Where's the transition point? Blah, 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 blah. Right? Oh, my God. Okay. So right. They're running this experiment. Drama. Two years later, <laughs> September 2022, which is all of a month ago as of recording. Um, This new paper is released. Obviously, this is written, you know, before this written probably started being written after they read this paper saying, and I quote, this is from the abstract. They said, A, the reported background corrected susceptibility data is pathological, (laughs) which kind of just means crazy wrong, right? B, uh, they didn't obtain the data via the method described in the paper, that's a c, pretty big pretty basic the, c there. the measured voltage data was not the raw data <laughs> Oh course they just go a b and c your paper's dumb right your, your conclusions have to be wrong um because the conclusion of the paper was essentially wow look at all this you know special science we did with our hydrogen and our sulfur and our carbon and then we squeezed it and then eventually we managed to produce a sort of superconductor that can conduct at uh, temperatures as high as maybe 15 degrees right Mm
1: -hmm.
0: totally breakthrough stuff but then they said like no you didn't even do the experiment you described and your data is not like like you've clearly changed your data from what the raw data that you actually measured was which is not how that's just do science
1: but that's not even bad science that's just fraud isn't it
0: (laughs) yeah exactly exactly (laughs) right so how does metallic i bet you've been wondering how does metallic hydrogen actually actually you know how do how do how do superconductors work how do they how yes. do they conduct with zero resistance
1: there, there's a word I, which is,
0: I should have put this in earlier
1: like it's sort of been, st- it's it's been lodged in my brain since I googled superconductors once in year ten I'm oh, going to no, say yeah. the word i'm going to say the word and i'm going to sound smart i'm going to pretend I know what it means but I don't know what it means I'm just going to say the word are you ready yeah the word, the word is cooper pairs.
0: Yeah, the Cooper. Oh, it's two I've words. I've said it. It's two Cooper words, pairs. but but I've said no, it. That's, you can sound real smart talking about this topic. You say Cooper pairs, and it's an electron phonon interaction.
1: Oh, phonons! Oh, remember phonons? phonons? I fucking remember phonons. Oh, do it. They're vibrating particles. Yeah, on. they're like yeah. It's like a, oh, great. It's a it's
0: a quantum sound wave is a description of a phonon. It Actually, comes from the Greek Sick. Greek word for like sound with like homophone telephone yeah. phone on you know it's the phone same on is same, when you, same like what, what's what, how you what's the etymological is that the yeah it, uh, it's henry going wild with bad terms again it's an erogenous believe, word I, guys
1: i believe it's etymology it's, it's either etymology. etymology or entomology
0: and one of the is insects i think i think etymology yeah, so is where it's words. Not. right it's not, not. so you've got your metallic letters of ions in this case just yes. pro- just protons right they're in rows yep. and in columns, right? Then you've got your sea of electrons swishing around them, right? Now, mm-hmm. if you apply a voltage over them, the electrons move from one side of your screen to the other side of your screen, right? Your are this image of this, this lattice that you have, right?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: As it moves through the lattice, it attracts the ions towards it because it's an electron. It's negatively charged and the ions are positively charged. They attract sure. each other, yes. right? Yes, This exerts a force on the ions. So in the wake of the electron, i.e. as it passes by the ions, they get slightly moved towards it, right? Just a small little mm-hmm. little nudge, small little nudge. It means that every time an electron passes through a group of ions, the group of ions moves slightly towards where the electron was. And so you get a local area of positive charge. Just for a second, tiny little positive charge, right? This is called the phonon yep. in this case. I see. phonon in this case is the vibration of these, well, the phonon is the total system's vibration because all the ions are jiggling everywhere. They're being attracted from all sides. But in this case, it's this local creation of a small positive charge in the lattice, right? Now, this small positive charge isn't going to last long. Why? Because electrons are attracted to positive charges, so they're all going to rush in afterwards, right? Namely, you end up with one electron rushing in, the next electron along, right? Gets Mm -hmm. sucked in a little bit faster, right? and what happens is if you have one electron going along and then the next electron is being pulled along by it they can kind of be treated as well they're interacting with each other right yes they're interacting with each other through this interesting mechanism right so they're paired in that in that sense right i'm not i'm not talking quantum yet they're paired in that sense right just yeah it's regular a pair. tiny tiny weeny interaction right like the main thing here is Electrons are bouncing all over the place. You know, they're smashing into the ions. They're wiggling all the way through the the, you know, the hot and wet lattice that exists, right? But if you cool this lattice yeah. down really, really cold, they're not really bouncing around that much. So you actually start seeing this small attraction because of this phonon formation as these ions come close together. starts becoming a much more significant interaction, right? Which is why the Curie temperature is only, you know, it's at low temperatures, right? Uh-huh. Um, why is it superconducting? I'm going to just try and be as nice as possible here. Um, At low temperatures, these two electrons become paired, right? The key point is it's not a classical system, and they're not balls that suck stuff close to each other, right? So when they become paired, we can treat them actually as one particle or one wave function, right? Okay. And what's interesting about this wave function is that you can't end up with, half-integer spins anymore because, okay, let me just put a little bit of background. What do I mean by half-integer spins? Fermions are particles with half-integer spins. Um, a spin is basically the angular momentum of the particle. We'll just going to say that, right? It's a property of a particle, right? And it, it's dependent. It's a fundamental property of the particle, right? And for an electron, it's a half-integer spin, which means that you can end up with, what do I say? It takes two full rotations of the angular momentum for an electron to array Uh, come back to its original state it's like a a, it's like a it's like a it's like a spinning top that you have to spin through 720 degrees before it comes back to one rotation electrons do that that's weird right other particles you can end up which have got i guess integer spins of one right that takes one full rotation to go around if you've got an integer spin of zero there's no like it's it you can't spin it right it's it 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 can't be spun right If you've got an integer spin of two, it takes half a rotation before it comes back to being normal. And there are some particles which have got integer spins of four. It takes one quarter of a rotation to come back to looking the same as it did before you started rotating it, right? What's cool about this new particle that we got is that because spin isn't actually rotation dependent, it's rotation dependent and it's also... Uh, just the angular momentum, which is a inherent property of some a rotating body, right? So you've got angular momentum, which is going up in one electron and angular momentum, which is going down in the other electron. When you pair them together like this in this Cooper pair, they can only produce an integer angular momentum, which means if they're up and down, you end up with zero because they cancel each other out because it's up a half yes. and down a half. If they're both up, you get up one because the two halves add together. And if they're both down you get down one, right? Mm -hmm. Which is just one, right? Yeah, of course. So what you have is that you have the addition of two fermions together result in having a full integer spin, and thus the pair of them can be considered a boson. Oh, my God, that's so clever. Right? Oh, physicists are so and when weird. they're a boson, it's going to get better. And when they're a boson... <laughs> you can't
1: just do that. You've got to say they're a boson. They're not bosons. you can't just do that.
0: <laughs> well, they're not bosons, but they have integer <laughs> spins, which is the definition.
1: Oh, I don't know if I'm okay with that. I mean, I understand it, but Jesus. Right,
0: right. You remember the, do you remember the poorly exclusion principle, Sam?
1: Oh, like it's the fucking yesterday. I, I love the Pauli exclusion principle. Two electrons can't occupy the same state. Wait a second, right, but if they are occupying at, the same you, state. If,
0: no, no. If you look at if you look at the definition of a Pauli exclusion principle, let me get it up here on Wikipedia. But right. Okay. Look at the exact wording. In quantum mechanics, the Pauli exclusion principle states that two or more identical particles. With half integer spins, ah. i.e., fermions, cannot o- occupy the same quantum state within a quantum system simultaneously. So the key word there is that it's they have to have half integer spins to not be a- to to obey the Pauli exclusion principle, which means that Cooper pairs shit. can occupy the same quantum state. Oh, they don't so you end, you end up with a situation shit, where multiple Cooper pairs occupy the same quantum state. Okay. And then okay. that gives That's... rise to the, the the superconducting property.
1: That's so clever.
0: So electrons team
1: up and then just sort of like disobey this fundamental law of physics by becoming bosons. Yeah. Sick.
0: And and these guys thought they did it with their hydrogen sulfide disproportionation, pressure driven, whatever, right? And then these guys said <laughs> your data's wrong. And then some other guys have tried really hard to make metallic hydrogen. The way they were testing it was does it absorb this this infrared radiation? Oh, it does, but then other people are like, now nah, you're dumb." I think everyone's really, really keen to produce this superconductor because then you make kala cash, and be- you know it's a Nobel Prize worthy thing. It's
1: Going to make trains
0: faster and all sorts of shit. Like it's yeah, it's probably just, it's just... the most applicable discovery today. Exactly, and people want it people want it really bad. Hey. A quick one. A quick quickie. I mean quickie. Awesome.
1: This is a fact about the pitcher plant, Henry. Do you know what that is? No. Yeah. The pitcher plant. The pitcher plant is one of the most charismatic plants, I'd say.
0: Um, charismatic plants. That
1: God has blessed us with. It's a plant which lives in Southeast Asia and it is essentially it doesn't have roots, really. So it's a carnivorous plant. Uh-huh. And it's, it's not only a carnivorous plant, but it's probably the coolest carnivorous plant. And it's yeah. made up of kind of a vine that has one weird leafy thing that attaches to other plants. And the bottom of it has a huge jug or pitcher.
0: Oh, I like know this one. Huge,
1: yeah, you know it. You know it. It's I know a, this one. It's a huge, deep jug. And inside it is digestive juices. juices. It's got digestive juices. So what the mm. idea is mm. insects fly around in the jungle and then they smell. Oh, what's that? Oh, that smells delicious. That smells like nectar. I love nectar. Nectar's fucking great. Let me go have a smell. Oh, oh, look at that. There's a big old red circle. Oh, that's good. That's like a flower, isn't it? I'll sit yeah, on that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it smells. Oh, it's delicious. Oh, it's lovely. Oh, let me get some of this nectar. Oh, the nectar. Whoa, 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 whoa. What's going on? Oh, it's slippery. Wait, wait, wait. Oh, no, I'm aquaplaning. Oh, God. Oh, I'm falling off. No. And they fall down. And then they land. They fall inside the jug. So they landed on the lip of on the rim of the jug, and they slip off, and they fall in the jug, and they go, ah, no, I'm surrounded. In a if vis- only
0: I could fly.
1: <laughs> well, they're surround. You know why they can't fly? Because right. it's a vis- it's a viscoelastic fluid, Henry. Bro, it's a viscoelastic fluid, so it's non-Newtonian to
0: an extent. I, yeah? fucking, every, I fucking love those.
1: Every time they struggle, they get more and more stuck in the fluid, and they're waiting to get it make? Might do balls
0: on strings. Who it knows?
1: Probably does do balls on strings. Balls on
0: strings. Listen to stringy hybrid moths if you want to know more about that.
1: Yeah, you better. And they're they're like, oh no, my short life as a as a fly or a or a shrew or oh, a bat, a bat. Or like, you know, all these. Oh, there's tons of shit that falls my in pitcher short, plants A tragic life, life as a fly. It's mostly insects, and they they essentially get slowly digested by all the digestive juices inside the pitcher plant. Really digested plant, sucks. It man. gets it gets all these compounds from the fly from from the insects, and it's like. Mm. I can absorb these right up into my into my planty body, and I can use them. But there's only one compound it really cares about, Henry, and that's nitrogen.
0: Ooh, lucky, lucky it, because there's a lot of nitrogen.
1: A Lot of nitrogen, especially in insects, because there's nitrogen in chitin, which they use to make up their exoskeleton. Mm. But um, yeah, the, the the thing is, these plants, carnivorous plants, often evolve where there's not very nu- not very much nutrients in the soil, because that that this means that it becomes advantageous to take nutrients from your prey because there's not much left anywhere. So this is this is one way they've done it. And it's really weird, their evolution. The, the actual jug evolved from a leaf, and the leaf evolved from the stem. It's really odd, and it feels really counterintuitive, but it's, it's a really fascinating organism. There's a lot to talk about, but I'm going to talk about one it's specific.
0: A, there was once a stem, and then there was a stem <laughs> with a leaf, and then there was a stem with a leaf with a jug. Yeah, well, the leaf kind of, cur-
1: basically, the leaf curled round, and it made the jug, but then there was no leaf, so a bit of stem grew into a thing that looks like a leaf, and now ah. it, so it's, really, it's really weird. Nice. Um, there's nice tons long of long kinds on. of pigeons. They're, they're huge, they're tiny, they're very variable, they're beautiful, they're really bright and colourful, Um, but the way that they actually catch animals is quite interesting, because when the surface of the lip, so this is a big red lip, which is what the slippery part is. When it's dry, it's quite easy to it's quite easy to walk on. It's not very really slippery. When it's completely dry, you just sort of walk around, you'll be fine. If you're an insect, you can get your nectar and you can go. When it's wet, however, the water essentially forms this has this interaction with the grooves in the surface. These tiny, tiny grooves, and it creates aquaplaning, which is essentially a very, very low friction. Low friction. So even the insects with their little Little chlory feet just yeah, get carried I know, away. I know a lot about aeroplaning, man. Well, yeah, exactly. That, that's what happens when it's wet. You watch Formula One or shit like that. And um, a lot of people are sort of are sort of wondering, well, why why do they bother with this? Because like you can make a slippery surface when you're dry as well. A lot of a lot of plants do that. A lot of organisms learn to do that. There's no reason that you can only make your trap effective when it's wet. Like that seems a bit. That seems does a bit it give a,
0: the does it give the insects confidence or something? oh that's really
1: interesting that's a really i'm really glad you said that because it kind of does but in a really cool way right so let's take an example of a pitcher plant where pretty much all of its prey is ants and that's true of most pitcher plants ants are the main prey in terms of catch and the way that let's say an ant crawls onto the surface of a pitcher plant and it's dry and it gets some nectar and it goes back to the nest Okay, nothing happened. If an ant goes on and it's wet, however, it'll fall in. And it's really a gamble whether it's going to be dry or wet at any given time. I mean, it's the rainforest, it'll probably be wet, but a lot of the time it's not that wet. Now, do you know anything about how ants' foraging works?
0: Uh, what with their hydrocarbons? Well, no.
1: They have, and you're going to get it immediately, they have scouts. Right. So what scouts do are these ants that essentially go off into certain directions... And if they find some oh God, food, they tell everyone they, else leave a pheromone, the they leave a pheromone trail. They leave a pheromone trail. So if an ant finds food, it leaves a really strong trail of pheromones. That means that the next ant, when faced with, say, a fork in the path, will choose the path with stronger pheromones, and it will leave a pheromone trail of its own. The next pheromones, ant will have an even stronger choice. And it's essentially, yeah, it's essentially this map, this pheromone map, which is left. And pheromones are, I, I think they're kind of hydrocarbons, but it's not the cuticular hydrocarbons that you're thinking of, I think. Right.
0: But um, they but need them to go to the plant to get yes, nectar.
1: Ants have this pheromone map which, which shows them where all the scouts have been. And if a scout goes onto the lip of a, of a pitcher plant when it's dry and says, yeah, this is great, loads of free nectar here, it will leave a very strong trail. And then maybe hundreds, thousands of ants will follow that trail where the scout has been and it will, they'll get the nectar for themselves. Now, this is a very risky strategy because what, what the plant is hoping, clearly, is that it's dry, a scout comes, leaves a trail, a scout leaves, it rains, and then hundreds of ants come, but this time it's wet and they all fall in. Mad. That's what the pitcher plant wants. And my
0: sister, my sister can tell you that ants taste salty.
1: They do I don't think they naturally taste salty. I think that's, she, that's more well, a cooking process. Well,
0: have you ever eaten an ant?
1: I have, but has she eaten a, like a living ant or was it like a cooked
0: <laughs> ant? No, my sister ate my she used to eat ants in the garden, saying they're so Oh. Oh,
1: okay. Yeah, then, then I'll I'll believe when, that. I'll believe when that. When she was
0: when she was like seven, what are they three, oh. four, five, six, seven,
1: that that old. It's fucking disgusting, mate.
0: <clears throat> it is, yeah. Thank, thanks for noticing.
1: <laughs> there was this research done at the University of Bristol and they basically said, Hey, is it a good idea for plants to be this risky? Like, is it better if every scout just falls in? Or is it better if once in a while they get a huge hit and hundreds of ants get tricked? What's the better method here? And then did a test that it's much, much better to occasionally be dry and wet and have a trap that works only sometimes if it allows for the possibility that you trick a bunch of ants to come into your kitchen. Nice, nice, very, nice. Very, very. Yeah, basically that's what happens. And um, I reckon, I reckon this is quite a recently evolved behavior. It's like buying a white van and giving kids sweets. Why did I say it that, is, why d- It is. It's like doing that. And then, well, it's like buying a white, it's like not being a pedophile, giving some kids <laughs> sweets. And then the they grandkids. go tell, and they go tell their friends and they, and then all their friends come. But now you're a pedophile. It's like that.
0: Switched it up, bro. You switched it up. trick them. You
1: trick them. You, you, trick them. you <laughs> throw them into a false sense You
0: reverse card. <laughs> I'm now a (laughs) (laughs) peacock. Yeah, it's like
1: that. It's like that exactly. And um, yeah, it's a, it's a. I reckon the ants are probably going to evolve a a way around that because if ants are good at anything, it's rapid behavioural evolution. Ants are really good at that. Ants are fucking great. Yeah. But um, for now, the pitcher plants have the upper hand, and we'll see. We'll see how things go.
0: Oh, it's fact time. It's Woo-hoo. fact time. It's time for you to learn about our Earth, our beautiful planet, and the rocks that make <gasps> it up.
1: This sounds like, oh no, oh, okay, maybe not biology. Oh no, it's just chemistry. Aww. Oh fuck, oh please don't be
0: chemistry. Sam, it's worse. It's worse than it geology. It's planetary physics. <laughs> oh no. It's kind no. of geology as well. Um, Sam, how, yes. thick is, how thick is the Earth's crust roughly? Okay. Do
1: you what what unit do you want me to do? Kilometers. Get kilometers right. Just give it a guess.
0: I'm not expecting it great.
1: I'm gonna go with Uh the Mariana trench is like what four, three, four, five, 6, a hundred kilometers down. I don't know.
0: I'm gonna say <laughs> um it's kind of a mean question, I'll be honest, because it feels like something you should know, but like actually seventy. 70 70. Seven zero. You fucking googled it, man. Did you google what? It? No, 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 I didn't. I did not google it. I think I didn't google. google Let me just type in depth of crust. No, 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 five to I... 70 kilometers thick. You schmuck. Oh,
1: beautiful. That uh-huh. is that is why that is now nah, imposter syndrome officially cured. That,
0: that's continental crust though. I must be said, the oceanic crust, the stuff below the ocean uh is is five to seven yeah. kilometers thick it's, I mean, it's denser yeah, it's yeah.
1: Ocean.
0: yeah i mean you got the the lower stuff which is the ocean but the 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 earth crust is the the stuff with mountains and whatnot can be like 35 to 70 kilometers thick yeah, yeah 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 cool right what am i going to be talking about today earthquakes sam you did gcse geography you might think you know how an earthquake works right I know I know how an earthquake works. Well, I mean, there's lots of different ways how an earthquake works, but 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 it, it works with two rocks being pushed into each other from some direction, um trying to get into another, you know, orientation, but they get stuck with each other. And it keeps pushing and pushing and pushing and they keep being stuck until one day a little piece of rock breaks and the whole thing slides across itself, right? And that creates Spot. giant vibrations and that shakes the earth and it shakes the ground and it kills people and it breaks your mum's house and it's, okay. it's horrible. Right. Yeah. That's
1: what so I was we, saying. We just, we just, discovered,
0: we just discovered the depth of the earth's crust. Right. I mean, you need br- brittle, you know, crunchy rock, right. To create an earthquake. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What if I told you greater than 20% of earthquakes occur at depths of greater than 300 kilometers?
1: I would say
0: what? (laughs) So I thought you'd say that because what happens to rock when it goes down that far is it becomes part of the mantle and that's liquid. That's liquid rock. I mean, it's rock at about 10 billion pascals. (laughs) 10 billion. A lot of pascals. It's 10 gigapascals, yeah. It's 10 billion pascals. (laughs) I mean, atmospheric pressure is a hundred thousand pascals. So, you know, pascals is a small measurement for these kind of things, but it's ten billion pascals. Mind you, think about it: gravitational squashing. You're three hundred. You're below three hundred kilometers of rock being squeezed into another rock, right? Like, like you're going to be squeezed pretty hard, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, I, I get it.
0: So, what causes these earthquakes, which are, you know, they can be like you know, massively like high on the Richter scale, they can be like between five and eight, which is huge if you know what the Richter scale is like. Massive. Yeah, it's massive, right? So these are huge, right? And it's be- this is a quote here from Oichi of Imei University. It's been a real puzzle for many scientists because earthquakes shouldn't occur deeper than 300 kilometers, right? They're called deep focus earthquakes. Oh yeah. So these deep focus earthquakes that we've been observing of, you know, five to, you know, eight or nine and whatnot, uh, they occur in tectonic plates. To, uh, they they occur in subduction zones. Do you remember what a subduction zone is?
1: Yes, it's when one plate sort of accidentally slides under another plate, and it gets really deep, and it's it's quite bad.
0: <laughs> Why did that sound sexual to me?
1: <laughs> oh, oh, fucking hell! Gee, oh my god! <laughs> What's wrong with you? <laughs> Under and it gets really
0: deep. So, it's in these way. erogenous subduction zones, is that the right word? Is that the right word? I use the right word there. Um, where it's, it's an oceanic uh, crust going underneath a continental crust, because oceanic crusts, as I mentioned earlier, are denser than continental crusts. Yes, yes, it's the silica. Um, what these oceanic crusts contain is a mineral called olivine, right? And this is a key mineral in this explanation because olivine, well, I'll get onto it. You know, olivine goes under the continental crust with the rest of the oceanic crust and it plunges down into the mantle to depths of like 300 kilometers or deeper. Right. And it should be mentioned at this point, it's becoming liquid. Like this is becoming liquid rock. It's going into the mantle, right? Yeah. Right. And the deep focus earthquakes are nothing to do with friction between the top of the oceanic plate and the bottom of the continental plate. Mm-hmm. So because of these, it should be mentioned that since due to the depth of these uh, earthquakes, they're not dangerous because they tend to lose energy on the way up because they're so far down.
1: Right. Ah. Right. Okay.
0: Yeah. Um, but, but they are really powerful. So I've got a case study here in 2013, a magnitude 8.3 on the Richter scale deep-focus earthquake struck around 609 kilometers below the Sea of Oshdok. Really deep, deep focus, really deep focus, but really strong, right? (laughs) So just off Russia's eastern coast. So studies have hinted that these olivine crystals can spawn deep earthquakes, deep-focus earthquakes, because they're quote-unquote unstable. Right, yeah. So they think that in the immense temperature and pressure, the olivine, I guess, uh, turns into another rock. Right, okay. and the process of which it turning into another rock sort of pops and releases a sound wave, even though it's liquid rock. So it's what? not rubbing against anything. It's it's changing chemically.
1: Whoa! 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 Okay. Cool.
0: So, this this guy I mentioned earlier, Ohichi, Mm -hmm. to replicate the conditions underneath these, because we can do that now. We can squeeze stuff that hard. (sighs) Conditions deep underground. The researchers heated and squeezed olivine crystals up to nearly 1,100 degrees Celsius, 17 gigapascals. 17 17 billion pascals. 17 billion pascals.
1: Bloody hell.
0: The quote here as well is funny. The team then used a mechanical press... (laughs) <laughs> to further compress the olivine slowly and monitor the deformation right so from 11 to 17 gigapascals and about 800 to 900 degrees centigrade the olivine recrystallized into thin layers containing a new wadley it's called wadleyite 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 right. wadleyite and it also made some smaller olivine grains but but the main thing is that it turned into wadleyite right mm mm-hmm. mhm they also found that during this process, as you kind of expect, faults were created in the actual rock, so like weak points, which uh-huh. you know can be, uh, I guess, oh, I see. spawning spawning points or nucleation sites for future earthquakes, right? Um, and during the uh, transformation of recrystallization into waslisite and smaller olivine grains, uh, it forms bursts of sound that they recorded. Uh, which were indicative of miniature earthquakes. Along subducting tectonic plates, many of the thin layers grow and link to form weak regions in the rock, upon which faults and earthquakes can then initiate, like I said. Mm -hmm. Right. So basically it says that the transformation of olivine under these really high temperatures and pressures um, uh, really wreak havoc with the rock's mechanical stability at this depth and also create... I guess, little popping noises, um, which are also help with nucleating uh, deep focus earthquakes. Nucleating,
1: that's cool. Okay, so I, I that makes sense. That makes quite a lot of sense. So you get this, you get this
0: rock, changing. which is squeezed, turns into another rock, and leads yes. to deep focus earthquakes at depths that you would not be able to expect uh, with our current models, I guess, where we just so say it's the stro- rock slides into other rock.
1: Is the structure of Wadsleyite more compact than Olivine? So does it does it like suddenly change into a slightly more compact structure so therefore it loses a bit just of get volume?
0: Wadsleyite up.
1: Like is, yeah. is it like sort of water and ice type deal?
0: Is Wadsleyite oh, more dense? It. You know it probably tells you the density on the Wikipedia page, just of Wadsleyite. It says what's the specific gravity? Um, or relative density. Oh my god. Specific gravity means density specific cool. gravity.
1: Wait, it's- Henry, what's the what's the specific gravity for um o- o- olivine. Ve- Google uh, it, quick, quick, Google it, Google it's, it. It's Go.
0: three point two to four point five. It gives a range.
1: So so Wadsleyite <laughs> has a higher density, which means it will occupy less volume, which means it will be smaller. So yeah, but it says the upper bound
0: the upper bound of olivine is a four point five. Olivine's olivine's bio- biofringent. <laughs> Olivine's birefringent? Just not by much. Like most things are birefringent. Oh. Do you know that? Most things are birefringent. Think about it. The, the thing that gives rise to birefringency is a variation in the electron density okay. from okay, one fine. axis Olivin. to another axis. So like if you've got a vaguely complicated crystal, it's going to be birefringent, just not by much. It's so Schmichite. this is the bit that you were talking
1: about. So the olivine wadsleyite phase transition causes the velocity of the P waves to jump by 13%. And the velocity of the s waves to jump by 14%. So it's been the main reason for the seismic discontinuity at the dip boundary between the upper mantle and the transition zone.
0: Nice.
1: it's exactly what you said, you genius. <laughs> oh my God, Henry. Henry, guess what? Guess what? Guess what? what I've just done? I've connected us through two blue Wikipedia clicks to group theory.
0: Oh. <laughs> so there's there's something because, called dude my my personal tutor, big researcher on group theory.
1: Oh, everyone is everyone is. It's the best part of math. He's like, man, I love group theory.
0: He keeps saying that. I'm like, shut up. Have <laughs> <No> one... <laughs> I made you hate group theory? <laughs> no, no. I like I actually looked into group theory after your thing, but I wouldn't tell that to you.
1: You wouldn't know. But um, so on on the Wadzliite page it says that it's in the space group Emma. And I thought, what the fuck does that mean? And you click on space group, and space group is the symmetry group of an object in space. So it's it gives it tells you which group the that shape is this, this is of for the unit cell a... belongs to. For Wadsleyite. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The, so the, structure. The, crystal stru- the crystal structure of Wadsleyite belongs to the immer symmetrical group. Right. Which is a member of the Bababuck groups, I think.
0: Right. <laughs> <laughs> Each individual ant is kind of very stupid no actually sam i I just need the toilet oh pineapple eats you the physics question is is everything just balls or is there more to it why is he that why is he that oh i'm getting a bit warmer these days maybe i should you know disperse my ovaries into the world Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. i do that yeah this is non-falsifiable this is not science I'm not a fan of that Henry I'm gonna be honest guess I'll wait for the sun to blow up
1: why are you still evening Fast and Furious
0: Henry the John Malkovich <laughs> as Snail
1: and then this presenter was like can you maybe like elaborate on that like maybe just, just for the viewers at home give like a yeah. layman's explanation and I was like I can't know I can't. And then
0: it goes down,
1: brown out. That's ugh. Ugh.
0: You're listening to the Substandard Model.